Hi, and welcome to another episode of A Shot Glass of Recovery with your host, Julie, half of the dynamic duo that brings you the podcast, Two Sober Chicks. Welcome to April 10th, 2020, 4-10-2020. So I volunteer at a treatment center up here in Toronto. I have for eight or nine years now. I've done everything there from greeting new clients, um, being their buddy for the day. I've done a session called Pros and Cons where we examine the pros and cons of recovery versus our addiction. Um, Oh my gosh, I've done the family program. I have done the meditation and yoga class. Uh, Oh, I did the intensive outpatient program as the volunteer liaison. I absolutely love my role there. However, um, they really pared down their volunteer program um, in restructuring. And so now the one role that I have in volunteering there, and others have been presented to me, but just my life and time doesn't allow to do more, is every six weeks I do a didactic lesson on the 12 steps and the spiritual principles of each step and the wisdom that I have been taught regarding each step. And I sort of pepper in my story as I go along because the 12-step model for me saved my life. And it's so important for me that I get up there and I talk about the practicalities of how to do the steps and what they are because the clients are probably sick of hearing my stories. So this way I feel like I'm doing my job in spreading the word of the 12-step model. So had that being said, I am on the mailing list for this treatment center and um, they released an article today about eight tips for grieving the little things lost to coronavirus. Um, which is so good. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but if you want to read the whole article, you can go to edgewoodhealthnetwork.com. And this piece is written by Carly Campbell. So it talks about the thousands of memes that we see on social media these days um, in regards to COVID, how half of them are calls to action and they are attempting to inspire us us on how to use all of our quote-unquote newfound time. And then there's the other ones, which is telling us to watch all the Netflix, do all the things, you know, everything's like happy, happy, joy, joy. Um, and it talks about how both of those approaches are great. The need to do as opposed to be can be a bit of a warning sign for those of us in recovery. So I just lost my train of thought. I'm reading as I'm doing this uh, because I thought I was going to read the whole thing, but then realized how long it is. So what it starts to say after looking at these sort of two approaches to what's going on with the pandemic is to recognize that this pandemic has robbed us of normal. So it's normal that we see that the pandemic has taken away the really big things like our jobs and our health and our life and our community. But it also talks about the importance of all of the thousand little everyday things that we didn't even realize were good or that we were grateful for. So it gives about, oh, it gives eight Um, tips on how to navigate this time. And number one is feel all the feelings, which I love. 
It talks about um, the history of the lessons of the incredible capacity that we as human beings have to suffer and overcome. Talks about number two, know the stages of grief uh, on death and dying. I mean, Kubler Ross wrote the book on the five stages of, stages of grief: denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Uh, I'm currently going through all of those in my breakup, my recent breakup. And what I love is that number three talks about how all of these stages are not linear. It's not neat and tidy. Sometimes we go, you know, into grief and into denial, and then we go into acceptance, and then we go into bargaining, and then we go back to anger, and then we're back in denial again. And each of us has our own process. So to respect that and to have come to the place of acceptance that grief sometimes makes no fucking sense at all. Which brings us to the next point that they make. Number four, don't try and figure it out. They write, she writes, grief is a heart game, not a head game. Trying to make sense of grief can actually make it more painful. Number five, be aware that there are physical symptoms too. Like grief can be exhausting. Anxiety can cause pain. I have, when I know when I'm feeling weird body pains, um, I had, last night I had shooting pains in what, going down one of my legs. That's a sign for me. That's a red flag for me that I'm in some kind of emotional, mental, or spiritual pain. Or I've spent too much time in anxiety. Or I've spent too much time watching or listening to things that bring me stress. Um and get to know your your red flags while you're in the season. They are helpful as a person that has struggled with lar large anxiety. I'm struggling to find my words today. As a person that has struggled with a lot of anxiety and um, hypochondriacism, it's important for me when I'm going through those things to write them down. Like I have written letters to myself when I am well about what I learned from my last bout of anxiety or being a hypochondriac and I've actually labeled it in my phone letter to Julie when she's ill and it says things like you are okay these pains mean that you're moving through something there is nothing terminally wrong with you I promise that even though it feels like it now life will get better your bot this is a huge one for me your body is smart and intuitive it knows how to heal itself it wants to return to homeostasis you do not have to exhaust yourself and beat yourself up for thinking you have missed something that's going to make you well get to know your red flags because when you're in your crazy and you refer back to them you have your own words confronting you Number six in this article, acknowledge that it's personal. Oh, this one's so good. This point talks about how grieving and anxiety and stress and anger and powerlessness for each person feels different, looks different, and is handled differently. And so much so because of what we're going through right now in this pandemic, please let's respect each other's processes. Please let's look at each other. Like I walked by a couple today with a baby and a dog on a pathway back into my ravine. And I have made it a point when I go on my walks, no matter who it is, I smile when at them when I go by. And today, this mother made eye contact with me probably three times. She wasn't wearing a mask, so I could see her face. And I smiled at her all three times. And she would not return it. 
and I didn't think she's rude. Um, I didn't have any other thought than that poor thing is scared shitless and she's a mother and she's trying to protect her child. And like, I get it. I don't get mad if someone crosses the street or yanks their dog away or pulls their child out of my way or scoffs at me when I walk by. Like, I understand now how fear provoking this in. So let's respect each other's processes, especially when they don't look like ours. In the article, it says, instead of fury, when you see a toilet paper hoarder, you may find yourself saddened knowing that this is the best they can do with their fear. How sweet is that? That's compassion. Number seven is find your quote unquote why. Frederick Nietzsche wrote in Twilight of the Idols that a person, quote, who has a why to live can bear almost any how. Ooh, that's good. My why is my relationship with God. I My whole life is about serving him. And as a person whose life purpose and vocation is to serve God, the way that looks for me is serving his children. I cannot serve his children if A, I am not okay myself, or B, I am not connected to him. So in not being okay for others, I have to be okay for myself. And that only comes from my higher power and connecting to him and the promises he offers us, which is unconditional love and a purpose for everything, even if we don't understand it. So it is, it is just as much a job, an inside job for myself as it is for others, because that's the way it works, that I stay connected to him and that I stay in peace and joy. Because if I am full up of shit, of my own shit, of anger or fear or whatever, and that's not a judgment on those things, I know that I am not a clean, pure vessel unless I empty out all of me. Because higher power is not fear and it's not anger and it's not judgment. And so if I empty myself of the things that are not of God, then I am a clean and pure vessel for the things that are of him. And so my job is to stay in peace. And the only time that I have unadulterated pure joy and bliss is when I am connected to him and I give everything to him. I have to surrender it all over to him. So... That's my why. And as a woman in ministry, I just want to minister to people. And that makes always the burden much lighter. Um, Oh, I just said I had a oh, yeah, my sponsor says that she cannot be of use to her fellow man if she's too full of herself and myself loves to be in fear. Um, Oh, I also this is what I was going to remember. Also, when we're going through hard times, to remember that I might be going through this so I can just help one other person. Thinking of what tools and gifts of this season that you can take on so that you can help other people. Because you might be going through this so someone coming up behind you doesn't have to. I have a woman who is a sponsee and um, I would say a mentee. And she is very closely following the path I did from coming to faith and then stepping into her vocation. And she is a new Christian, a baby Christian like I am. But when I was in her shoes, I didn't have someone mentoring me. And so I I remember lamenting a couple of years ago why God just didn't send me a mentor. 
And now I look back at that time and I've been given someone who doesn't have to lament like I did because I'm mentoring her the way I wanted to be mentored. And it's such a gift for me. So when a sponsee is going through a hard time, I say, remember this, because I promise you somebody will come along in your life that's going to be in this exact position you're in. And you're going to be able to tell them how you got through it and how in hindsight now it was a gift to you because we all have a ministry. Let's see what number eight is. Make your heart bigger than your loss. Mm. In an interview on Oprah Winfrey's podcast, David and Francine Wheeler, who lost their six-year-old in the Sandy Hook Elementary shooting, described this as the only solution for grief. They had to find a love greater than their loss. Those of us in recovery are often already familiar with this concept, namely service. I'm reading through. Okay, the last paragraph, so we've gone through the eight things. And it's like this. Sure, we will still have bad days during the coronavirus pandemic, but we used to have bad years during addiction. As Glennon Doyle suggests in her book, Untamed, approach the pain with curiosity of what will emerge from the crumbling. Pain makes evolution possible. Just keep grasping for the next little loving thing, whether given or received. In fact, if we find enough of these little loving things, we may just discover, like the Grinch, that our hearts have grown three sizes in a post-coronavirus world. So again, um, this was on the EHN, um, I think it's their blog, the website to find this article is edgewood e-d-g-e-w-o-o-d healthnetwork.com the title of the article is eight tips for grieving the little things lost to coronavirus um posted on april 9th and it was written by one of the staff carly campbell so i hope that was helpful for you i think it was very well written um and i hope that you found a little bit of hope in that message if you were feeling hopeless today Thank you for being with me. Thank you for listening. I'll talk to you tomorrow.